Hello and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue, a podcast courtesy of TCJ.com, the comics journal site. Katie Skelly is our guest this week. Katie is the cartoonist behind works like Nurse Nurse, Operation Margarine, and the Agent series at Sluttus.com, and she's just released her new book, My Pretty Vampire. These are some of the sharpest comics out there. If you're a regular TCJ visitor, you may know that Katie and Sarah Horrocks recently had a chat up on the site, and we're keeping Skellymania going with this podcast. Katie is a TCJ contributor herself as well, and we go into that a bit too. Before the interview, though, I want to talk quickly about an issue with this podcast. I've seen a lot on Twitter, on Reddit, LiveJournal, uh, a bunch of what I guess you'd call immersion readings of comic book decalogue. You know, a lot of elaborate theories about why I've asked what I've asked, where the podcast is going next, how much you can infer from, say, the pairings of the guests and the episode numbers. This really intense kind of scrutinizing and clue-gathering, and... It's flattering to a point. It's great that there is a conversation happening, but I, I do also want to urge people. It's supposed to be first and foremost about the ride it takes you on in the moment. You know, are there messages about the gold standard in each episode? Yes, of course, and in everything that goes on the TCJ site, but I hope everyone listening can just enjoy the show in the present tense. By the way, if you've come to the podcast via tcj.com and you'd like to receive an episode each month in your iTunes feed, you can subscribe under the header TCJ Talkies. And now, 10 questions with Katie Skelly. Before we really got started, I wanted to thank you for something, actually. It was upon your recommendation when you uh, substituted for Joe McCullough in his column that I checked out uh, Ding Dong Circus by Sasaki Maki. Oh, yeah. And I liked that book a lot. Very cool. Yeah, that is, um, that's some cool shit. Who, that was a breakdown press, right? And yeah. Yeah. And I remember that because they like corrected me on Twitter, and I was like, "I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> fuck that up." But yeah, I'm glad that you liked it. It's I, wild stuff, right? Yeah, and it just in terms of the the basic act of making meaning panel to panel, it's uh, you know about as difficult a book as anything else I probably read this year. But I like his line work a lot. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's like it's totally unexpected. I feel like. You know, like every page you're just like, what the hell? Like, what is this? But that's really cool. Glad you liked it. Well, I feel like everybody at the Comics Journal has like the most thankless job. You know, I didn't realize it until I did Joe's column that day. Just like how insane it is to try to cover comics like that. Like I'll pop on every now and then and like do a review. But I didn't know the breadth of uh, of work that goes into that column, so I think that was a one and one and done deal. <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. I'll, I'll segue into the list from there. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the podcast, uh, we ask you know the same ten questions to a different mm-hmm. cartoonist each time, and the first one is, "What's the last comic you finished reading?" The last comic I finished reading was uh, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by, I think it's Kabi Nagata. So I finished that, and I'm writing a review of it now um, for the Comics Journal. I haven't pitched it. I'm just going to send it in and see what happens. So mm-hmm. that's good. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that was the last one. I still haven't read my book yet. I don't like to 
like reread it. I feel like I should though, just to be fresh on it, but uh, I haven't done that yet. Well, uh, when's the last time you have been through it uh, page by page? You know, I'm assuming there's a you know a proofing step, things like that, where where in the interest yeah. of due diligence, you've kind of got to take a look. Yeah, yeah, I had to do it back then, but I haven't uh, back in I want to say like March, maybe April, March. Uh, but it's it's been a minute. I like to get a little distance from the stuff that I do. It feels too raw to look at it, you know. Well, what's the nature of your relationship with something like a nurse nurse at this point? That's been, what, four or five years since publication? Yeah, that came out in 2012. I, I don't really look at it too much. I feel like everything that I learned from drawing, I've sort of, like, absorbed it. So, you know, I, I like to try to keep things fresh. I don't tend to go back in, in time. Also, you know, it can be sort of like emotionally painful to go back and look at old stuff. I'm sure you like experience this when you go look at older writing or maybe even listen to older podcasts, like everything that you were going through at that time just comes back so vividly. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't need to relive that stuff. I'm good. (laughs) So yeah. Um, but not, not very often is the answer. I don't really look, look back at the old stuff. When you do, do you find things surprise you? Ever, or is it mostly just the the process of revisiting the familiar things that's the challenge in it? It, it does surprise me because I always think like, you know, this this book isn't good enough, and you know, when you look at, when I look at my own stuff, I just see the flaws with it and and whatever. But when I have a little distance on it, I do see like, oh, this was a good thing, and that was a clever way of handling something or whatever. I feel like I'm so unconscious when I work; it, it's hard for me to like like understand exactly how the comic works and i don't know it's it's just it's a weird thing i can't really explain it did doing work like a freudian mess mm-hmm. <laughs> did doing works like the agent strips make that more difficult you know uh these this work that appeared online first that you would see you know probably retweeted or retumbled on a regular basis so it's constantly brought back into your vantage yeah, that can be a little bit weird. Um, I'm actually going back and looking at all of that stuff again um, a little bit more thoroughly now because uh, I'm going to be doing a collection of it. Um, so I'll have like more details on that stuff later, which will be really cool. But yeah, that, that can be a little bit strange. And there's also that level of like extra sort of like intimacy on top of it because like they are you know, sexual sure. in nature. And so when you see that getting shared around, um, it does feel a little bit like, Oh shit, I forgot. Like, I forgot that's something I like put my name on, mm-hmm. you know? um, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, I think that that's good. I think that sort of challenge was really good for me personally and as an artist and, but yeah, it, it's always, it's always a weird thing. It's like, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it. It's like, imagine you took a whole bunch of like really weird artsy shots of yourself five years ago or something and you're you just got the film like developed now it's just it's that weird sort of like distance from yourself do you have a sense of you know doing you know sex comics specifically with those if it widened your fan base in at all in welcome ways and unwelcome ways i think it changed 
some people's perceptions of me. I think it communicated to some people that like maybe I was going to be down for some stuff that I uh-huh. wasn't really, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's it's just like a comic strip. It's not really um it's not autobiographical and it's also not an advertisement for uh what I'm personally looking for. I think some people maybe interpreted that way, but you know, that that's bound to happen, I guess. Yeah, I think that it did in terms of I think people have different expectations of the kind of content of my work now and I don't I don't think that that's a bad thing I think that's great I think people are maybe looking to be shocked in different ways by Mm -hmm. my stuff now which I think is good I think that's a good challenge are you in the position now of having to decide whether or not you'll you know draw agents one through seven if there are are gaps you're finding you want to fill in there or is the door closed on those I think it's kind of closed, but I, I do have like one last thing I want to get done mm-hmm. before the um, collection comes out. I'm not really a big fan of continuity in anything mm-hmm. that I do um, because I don't think that like my life has any continuity. Everything just feels like a random like scattershot thing all the time. And I kind of like art that's that is that way as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to jump from like eight to nine to 10 to like 73 and then come back and do eight again and just sort of mix it all up. Um, yeah. I, I like that. I like that for that stuff. You know, obviously sure. when you're doing like a longer graphic novel, you want to have some semblance of an idea. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not making ding dong circus. I'm right. making, you know, my like weird little giallo things and everything. So, but I, I think that that's like, that's a good avenue for expression for me. And let me ask you question number two now. What cartoonist yeah. doesn't get enough praise? Oh, who doesn't get enough praise? Me, obviously, no. Mm. Um, I think Kyoko Okazaki is, is somebody who's really overlooked. We don't have a ton of her work translated in English. She's got a lot. Uh, my friend Sarah Horrocks is always like, ordering stuff in Japanese or like French or German from her and just kind of like trying to suss it out, which mm-hmm. I respect. I, I can't do that. I get very frustrated. It's like watching a foreign movie with no subtitles. It's like, what the hell is this? You know? Um, but she can appreciate the drawing and the storytelling and, and that's really uh, good on her. But yeah, I think that, um, I think Helter Skelter should have been a much bigger deal when it got released over here. I think it made a little splash, but I mean, that book to me, that's like bigger than The Watchmen, you know, it has so much going on in it and the art is so good and it's so dark and so funny. I I don't understand why that didn't connect, but maybe that just answered my own question. Mm -hmm. And who put that book out? Do you remember? That was Vertical, I want to say. Or Vertigo. I get them mixed up. (laughs) I'm not really, I'm not great with comics, I'm going to be honest with you. All right. Well, let me let me ask you our third question then, for for better or for worse. What's the most sure. widely loved comic you can't connect with? Um, we'll take Watchmen off the table since you've mentioned that one already. Yeah, it, that's a favorite with this question, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, what's the most widely loved? You know, I'm going to get shit for this, but I never connected with Linda Berry. I just I don't get it. There's something about it. I. I understand the historical significance of it, but the aesthetic significance, I just can't comprehend it. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Linda Perry. She seems really nice. I just don't get it. Are there comics in that 
sort of aesthetic ballpark that you relate to more? I mean, you obviously have a very, uh, you know, it's a clean line. There's sort of, you know, the polar opposite of that aesthetic. But are, are there things, you know, within that larger category where you've found an inroad that has just resonated with you more for reasons you might not be sure of? Hmm, not really. I, I, I just like, I like my clean lines. I like my sexy storylines. I like my bold colors. I like delineated, you know, forms and I like my panels and I just Mm -hmm. have a hard time looking at something that to me looks like a sketchbook. And I understand that and I appreciate it, but there's nothing really for me to glom onto. And also like, I don't really relate to books about making books because Mm -hmm. I read that and I'm like, we'll just make the book. (laughs) What, what am I, looking at here and i really hope that this isn't coming off like completely condescending because i do understand again the significance of of that work but like to me that's just not there's nothing really there (laughs) for Mm. me well i I think it's clear it's a a gap in sensibilities first and foremost well i just don't like i don't get when something can't translate the like gap between experience and aesthetic and that's something that i'm kind of working out in this review of um, my lesbian experience with loneliness where it's like something happened so why not funnel that into like a story or like a narrative I just I don't understand that like one-to-one correlation of like here's exactly what happened to me and and how I feel about it you know Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I, I very recently wrote a piece for the journal that was about a graphic memoir but I, I did find it difficult in the writing of it to differentiate the narrator versus the author and I was trying to be careful about that yeah and I do think memoir complicates that in some ways um, I feel like that's not a clear response to what you just said so let me let me segue into the next question you can ask your you can uh, send one comic back in time to yourself at 14 what is that comic and why oh man you know well, I read Ripple when I was, like, 14 by Dave Cooper, and I think that was the best thing that happened to me in my life. I kind of wish I could, like, send the reprint of that back in time to myself and be like, you're going to be published at the same time as this reprint by Fanographics, mm-hmm. like, just hang in there, you know. Um, but if I could send something back, I'd probably send back I'd probably send back some Guido Craypacks just because it took sure. me a long time to, to find him. Uh, and to find him in translation, and I think that would have blown my gourd for sure. Yeah, where did you encounter his work before the the Fanta reprints that you, of course, uh, were a contributor to? I the I think the first time I saw Guido Crapax, it was his Venus and Furs, and it was like some guy I was dating like had this super artsy mom, and like she was really cool and like a professor and stuff, and she had some Guido Crapax. And I was like, I'm going to get into this now. Like, this is going to be my thing. So, yeah, I think I think that was it. It was somebody's house. <laughs> right, well, let me let me loop back to the question I was going to ask that I, that I think I've, yes. I've got a more coherent take on now. Have there been moments where you've been tempted to explore a memoir and found it didn't work within your approach and your aesthetic? Or have you from the start been sort of single-mindedly interested in taking experience and, you know, putting it through that lens of, of narrative and of genre. 
I have. I've tried. I actually tried pretty recently. I, I started doing like a little diary comic back in February because I've been meaning to submit diary comics to the journal literally for years. Sure. Like I got an invitation to do it and I just never could bring myself to do it. And I'd start and I'd try and just be like, this is fucking boring. And it's like lying. I just feel like all I'm doing is lying about how great I am or like how funny my life can be or whatever. And it's like, this is just direct. Like this is terrible, but I really want to try again. I, I think it would be really cool to do like a little, uh, comic about the tour that I'm going to do. Um, just like really short. I'm, I'm going to be on the West coast for like a half a week and I just want to try, but it's like, ugh. I, I'm not one of those kind of people that like, I don't just like whip out a sketchbook and like draw at mm-hmm. places. And I think that a lot of autobio cartoonists are like that. Like Leslie Stein. Uh, I did a talk with Leslie Stein and Gary Panter at the strand a, a couple weeks ago and it was great. And afterwards we went to a bar and, you know, I have my friends there and we're all like, you know, laughing and scratching and drinking and stuff. And like, Les- I look over and it's like Leslie and Gary have like taken out their sketchbooks and like are working on stuff. I'm like, man, it's hardcore. I could never do that. Like, I just, I, I can't, I don't know. I like to be in the moment, I, I guess. But all that is to say that I don't think I'm the type of person that can just like stop whatever I'm doing on the road and be like, I have to record this moment this Mm -hmm. way, you know? That kind of documentary by sketch is something that seems, uh, it's interestingly comic specific, I think, at least in the sense that a prose fiction writer isn't going to take a moment at the bar to write a piece of flash fiction or or a photographer. It's it's like this stop drop and roll thing where it's like, it's not, I don't know. It just doesn't feel urgent to me. I'd rather have my space to like, have my music on and work mm-hmm. on what I want to work on, you know? And I don't want, I don't like people looking at me like that. <laughs> I, that. I have a, a one question about your biography uh, in the conversation. You and Sarah Horrocks recently had at TCJ, you alluded to a Catholic upbringing and, and with that, some things to work through, uh, which is an inevitable part of being raised Catholic. I think as someone who also had a version of that experience, but, and not to get name droppy, but last summer I interviewed Gilbert Hernandez, who was just coming out with his mm-hmm. sex comic featuring biblical figures. And his attitude toward the Catholic Church surprised me by how kind of sanguine it was. You know, he had a mind toward the positive aspects of it in a way that was an education for me as an interviewer, uh, at least, in that I think I, I tend to assume uh, former Catholics are ready to say the worst. So I'm wondering about your experience with Catholicism to the extent that you feel like talking about it and how you think it may have affected your artistic trajectory? I think for the most part, it kind of just like put this like fear into me and like a certain sense of shame just for just kind of like being a woman is, is shameful in Catholicism. The only like role models we have are like the Virgin Mary and like the Pelican that bit itself and was bleeding to like feed its children. There's not a whole lot. And all the saints, all the female saints are people that like either, you know, torched their lives and did nothing except works for other people or like virgins who were murdered and like apology, like accepted the apology of the person that was murdering them before they died. So like, there's not, not a whole lot to go off in terms of um, role models with any kind of agency in their life. So I think that 
had a big impact on me. And, you know, like I remember being in like first grade or something and my school had a convent attached Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to be a nun. That's going to be me. I'm (laughs) into this life. Like you all get to hang out is great. Um, that changed a little bit over the years, but yeah, I mean, I think getting over that kind of stuff and going to college just sort of blew my mind. I went to Syracuse university, like right out of Catholic, you know, high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like, I would go to the library like every day and just read books about art and read fiction and read, you know, whatever I could big fashion, like anthologies and stuff like that. And just, it was like a, a whole new world of ideas. And I know that's going to sound crazy because it's like, you know, the internet was just sort of taking hold like then. And, you know, you could, I had access to a ton of different things, but it didn't really affect me until I was like out of that two mile radius of like Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Sure. It didn't really occur to me that that was an option for a way that you could live. So, yeah, I think doing the sex stuff was really challenging to me, even though, you know, I'm like 10 years removed from that experience when I started working on it, because it just felt like this is something that's like, it's, it's showing something about myself that by my own nature as a woman, I shouldn't want to acknowledge or enjoy or, or anything like that. I, I don't know that my experience was as positive, but I think maybe as I get older, there are things about it that I can appreciate that I will be able to appreciate. Just not right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, another kind of tradition. Then question five, we normally ask, what's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? I think everybody should get paid. I think everyone should get paid in a way that's fair. And I say that about, you know, everybody from critics to people that work for comic shows to, you know, um, people that do like all the nitty gritty for big comics publishers. I just think everybody should get paid. And I think that work should be respected. You know, as your profile has increased as a cartoonist over the years, if I'm remembering right in your conversation with Sarah, at the journal, you talked about having a, a kind of work ethic as an artist where, you know, you're, once you're very dedicated to your work, but you also have, you know, the expectation of having a day job. So being like in the corner of comics that you're in, what, what do you do in terms of calibrating, you know, the worth of your work in, you know, in monetary terms and what you ought to be, you know, getting paid for a piece or, mm. or a book? Has that changed over time, Mm -hmm. your means of thinking about it? Yeah, definitely. Well, a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, I just set like a New Year's resolution for myself with comics. And I was like, you know what? From now on, no favors, no freebies. Like everything that I do needs to have some kind of compensation. And that can be getting actual money for it or like if I'm going to a show, like if I do something for a show, then like I got to get a hotel room or, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to get like that flight or whatever. And once I took that on, everything else kind of started falling into place where it's like, I just, I won't do work for like an anthology for less than 
I expect to get paid my normal page right now. Like I just won't do it. It's not worth it to me. And it has been kind of scary to let that go because you're like, oh, well, what opportunities am I going to miss out on? What exposure am I going to miss out on? And like, thankfully, I'm at a place where I don't really have to worry about that anymore. I feel like the book, the work that I do is like out there enough and it's going to keep being out there, but it's not going to be out there without me getting a fucking check i'm sick of that shit so i mean my prices have gone up you know my advances have gone up and and i think that that's a good thing the hope that this will be something that i can live off of like that's not really something that i i fuck with in that way because i i don't see that happening and i don't mean that in like a sad like boohoo i just mean that in the like i like to live there's like a difference to me between living and surviving and i like to have money that like Mm -hmm. you know if shit goes wrong like i can count on my savings or you know i can put money away for retirement like that's ever gonna happen but you know just the gesture means a lot to me so yeah i just i don't want to have to rely on you know the fucking kindness of strangers to get me through if i need it i i like to be independent so with art comics being you know this web of relationships and connections that it is did that resolution strain any friendships in ways that you had to do some maintenance on or did people you know by and large get what you were setting out to do i think they get it but i think i'm in trouble with like somebody not that person (laughs) but uh but like an entity because i'm just you know i keep getting asked to do work for free for like this major comic show it's the it's literally the third year that it's happened it always happens this time every year and I'm like, no, I'm not going to moderate something for your show without getting paid. Like, that's just crazy to me. I'm, I'm not going to do it. There's got to be some kind of exchange because this whole idea of, like, work for the privilege of, like, working in comics is fucking feudalism. It's terrible. I'm, I'm not about that. Let me dovetail off of that. Uh, what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? Our, our sixth question, question number six. You know, I never have. I I never have. I think I just... There are so many things in the way that I live where, like, I wish that I could act out more. Like, I wish that I could flip out on the subway. I wish that, like, you know, I could yell at the people that I'm really angry at and not have it, like, jeopardize my life. But that's not how the world works. And with comics, it's like I can funnel all that stuff into the page. Like I said, it's a very, like, unconscious process for me. And it's therapeutic. And, like, it's kind of free therapy at this point or therapy that's starting to pay for itself. So even in times that I've been really frustrated, I never thought I'm just going to fucking quit this because that, that's it. There's nothing else that I really have. That's This is the big thing. This is it. Have you received solicitations from other media at this point? You know, inquiries about a, a Katie Skelly screenplay, anything along those lines? Uh, there's been some animation stuff, and nothing has quite fit yet. There's been some YA stuff, too, um, which is very cool. And I'm open to a lot of different possibilities and ideas, and it just it has to be the right thing, but it, it has started happening, yeah. And let me ask you our seventh question now. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Best advice I heard about making comics... I don't know. I don't know that I have. I think everything is so specific to like a particular artist. Um, probably the best like art making advice I, I ever heard was um, 
when I was in when I was 17, I went to like this art school program for a summer between my junior and senior year. It was in Philly, and we had this like life drawing teacher. Um, his name was Alan. I had the biggest crush on Alan. I still have his like postcard. <laughs> um, but he he told us like you know because you're drawing gestures and you're doing everything super fast and like the model changes poses every you know 15 seconds or whatever, and he's like don't worry about like nailing it like just get yourself into a state where like when you're hot you're hot you're gonna be able to nail that drawing again just get to that place where you can stay hot and I think that was kind of the best advice you know I've gotten because it's like don't worry about nailing every single thing just like nail your gesture communicate where you're trying to you know get through the best seat you can but don't like fuss over it too much how long was the process of you developing a clear line style specifically is that something as soon as you were drawing comics you were working with a clear line or did you find your way to clear line cartooning as you read more books as you tried various approaches um that was that was always kind of it i think it was just like a through line to, you know, growing up and watching like a bunch of Hannah Barbara cartoons and stuff and just being like, Oh, that's how I relate to like characters. Like I like them to have a specific place and a specific shape. And I like a clean line and, and that's how I'm going to do it. So yeah, I think, I think it was always kind of that way. I don't remember ever trying anything else except for cross hatching when mm-hmm. I was really into the max when I was a teenager <laughs> and that lasted about 25 minutes. So cool. yeah. And question number eight, what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? Worst decision I've made as a cartoonist, probably like the times that I've decided to like get lippy about stuff it never served me, you know? There are times I get frustrated and, and I want to mouth off to people. That's never been good. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You can just take it out on the page and figure something else out. Yeah, I think it. I think it's just been, like, personal decisions, you know, to, like, act out, I guess. Those haven't been good. I can't think of anything specific, but <laughs> I think there are times that I just sort of was feeling myself too much and, and went a little off the deep end. <laughs> but, you know, you learn from that, and I don't think I've done it for a while. You know, I, all the, like, no favors, no freebies stuff, you really have to learn for, to stand up for yourself, and maybe I overdid it a couple times. But otherwise, otherwise I think everything's been all right. Have, I've made no mistakes, Greg. I've, I'm doing great. Well, that sounds awfully nice. Uh, <laughs> has also working as a reviewer of comics occasionally introduced any weirdness in your life as, as someone who's also, you know, then potentially at shows with people whose work you've written about? Um, no, so far so good. You know, like I would never approach a critic of my stuff, even if it was really good and, and talk to them about it. And I hope, I think that people have that same attitude towards me, but maybe they don't even read it. I don't know. Maybe they don't know. But like when I, when I write a review, if it's somebody who's like, contemporary and I like you know tweet out the review or something like I'll never like tag a person in it and be like check out what I said about you you know like that's just not that's not my style it's not like I'm trying to hide it but it just doesn't feel like that's appropriate for the relationship so I don't do that but yeah no everything's been copacetic and I don't don't think I'm really like savage or anything I'm honest but I don't you know I'm not trying to like wreck anybody's day (laughs) it's interesting how that 
kind of etiquette when you're talking about review writing, say, on Twitter, and whether or not to add has kind of developed over time. And I think your approach is the right one. Thanks. But, well, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm, like, etiquetting myself into oblivion. You know, who knows? Because I, I think people like that. I think, and, you know, like, now, you know, my book is out, and people will at me, you know, like, oh, there's a review here, a review there. And it's like, I kind of don't fucking need to know that either. Like, it, it's great for promotional stuff. But I'm like, yeah, I don't care what, what you said. <laughs> you know? That, I guess that's what Google alerts are for, if you if you really want to know what the, the discourse is. Yeah. Yeah, but let me tell you something. There is a Katie Skelly in England who writes about the royal family, and there's a Katie Skelly who's a bodybuilder. So I'm getting the weirdest shit, like, all day, like, about, you know, Prince George and, like, <laughs> fucking deadlifts and shit. It's, it's too much. So I turn those off. I don't even know what's going on. I just wait for fanographics to show me stuff. <laughs> All right. Now, question number nine. Uh, ordinarily, I ask people, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? Uh, you know, influence, I think, is, you know, in the fabric of your work, in a, in a transformed way, not a derivative way, but you're unapologetic about that. And, you know, and of course, you and Sarah Horrocks had your Trash Twins podcast, too. So I mm-hmm. wanted uh, to zoom in on a particular influence you've mentioned in the past. Yeah. Uh, in a piece you did uh, on Medium for the Strand Bookstore uh, about your inspirations, one you cite is Ada by Nabokov. Uh, mm-hmm. And that struck me both because I like his work quite a lot and, and also because, you know, outside of the obvious controversies surrounding Lolita, it's probably his most difficult novel. Um, for, mm-hmm. for the listener, it's the longest Nabokov novel. Uh, it's about an incestuous romance, an alternate world history other world within that world, uh, about the Russian novel, about time and memory. Um, when I read it, I sought it out after I got out of college because the instructor of my college Nabokov course took it off the syllabus for being too arch, right? you know, which is all to say I'm, I'm fascinated to oh, talk wow. to uh, a real ride-or-die fan of the book. So I'm wondering <laughs> about your experience with that novel and specifically like how you made inroads into it. Well, I, you know, I, I'm always drawn to things that are like illicit, I would say. And Lolita is my favorite novel. It's, I think it's the greatest book of all time. I love it so much. And it sort of fell into Nabokov that way. And, you know, I would try to read like Pale Fire or like Speak Memory. And I'm like, there's no, this isn't like sexy enough. That's mm-hmm. a lot of my like driving force. Like, <laughs> this isn't sexy enough. And then I found out about Ada and I, I found out that it was like an ancestral, like brother and sister sort of thing. And I was like, well, this sounds like the closest I'm going to get to Lolita again, you know, mm-hmm. reading something like Lolita because it's going to be, you know, a sort of like, nasty look at a a terrifying relationship and i'm like this is great and then i started reading it and i was like you know the style of this from like every every sentence in lolita is like a masterpiece in its own right and i have so many parts of that book memorized but when you go to ada it's like it almost has this like softcore porn kind of tone and it feels really vulgar it feels so much more vulgar than Lolita to me because it's all about like just this guy like latching out over his sister as she's like washing her hands in the sink. And it's very, 
it's very sensual in its tone in a way that Lolita isn't. I just feel like that that irony, that black sort of irony from Lolita just isn't present there. And so I think that's why I love the book so much because it's almost like he let go of not even pretense, but like any semblance of good taste mm-hmm. in a way. <laughs> like it's like that novel, that novel's not going to be remembered the way that Lolita is remembered. And like to hear that it's on any syllabus is like, wow, I'm not surprised that it got removed, but like, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really tough one. It's really dense. I'd love a good, huge, challenging book that's going to send you into a million different spirals too. You know, like Lolita's very linear. Ada has a ton of metatextual stuff going mm-hmm. on with it, like you mentioned, where you're just like, what am I, am I still reading the same thing? feels like a gravity's rainbow in that sort of way, so I like that a lot. And again, it's, it's just sort of like, it's the ultimate perversity, too, because it's, um, it's, it's incestual. And like, you know, Lolita is perverse in its nature, but, but it, I it's think... constantly trying to skirt away from the fact that it is, uh, at least like, you know, uh, in terms of the narrator. But Ada is not afraid of that. So I, I enjoy that aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you say, the narrator in Lolita is guilty of, um, you know, some self-deceptions, to say the least. Uh, and, you know, some people, uh, you know, detest that book. But I, I do think there's a moral core there that... You know, at its mm-hmm. heart, there's no endorsement of, of Humbert, Humbert's behavior. Whereas, you know, with Ada, it covers a taboo, but it's a, a consensual uh, brother-sister incest. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, which I think frees Nabokov up a bit to yeah, to get tawdry. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the letting go of that morality, uh, you know, it had been a long time since I read it. And I started working on My Pretty Vampire, and I was like, oh, I, I want it to be like a brother-sister thing. And I was like, why do I want it to be that thing? And I was looking back, and I was like, oh, it's because of fucking Ada. Like, it's because that is so grotesque and, like, but so freeing. And I think the books that I'd done before that, like, they have this moral core. And I was like, I just don't want to do that anymore. I want to try something else. So, yeah, that was a big, that was a big one to go back to. You know, rereading your work last night and knowing I was going to ask that question, I, I noticed that there's an Agent <laughs> 9 comic with an Issa and an Asa, two nearly identical women, which is a very... Yeah. Uh, that kind of doubling is very classically Nabokov. So I was wondering if that was uh, a coincidence or if there's a nod there to to that book, Ada, and, or, or to Nabokov in general. I think there are so many parts of Nabokov that I've just like absorbed into my like consciousness like i don't even realize when they're coming back out and then i feel that way about pension too so Mm -hmm. i i feel like those two are just like always fighting in my brain (laughs) so yeah i don't know if it was conscious i have no idea i don't know what the fuck i'm doing when i'm working i really (laughs) don't it's kind of (laughs) great i love it all right let me ask you our last question now question number 10 aliens have made contact with earth and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first? Oh, boy. Well, I just want to say I don't think I'm the best person for this job. I want to just let everybody know that. And I also like to get paid for it. But I think, <laughs> gosh, I think Guido Kratax is the best 
because he's not like any other cartoonist and all the other comics he's going to read after that or they're going to read after that are just going to be like disappointing so i think that's the only one that really that's the only one that's going to matter i would give him the whole uh fanographics compendium that's coming out slowly i think sure disarm them with the 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 diminishing returns that that come with finishing the crapax book and and reading what else is out there yeah, I think that will keep them benevolent. If they're like, oh, wow, you guys did this. That's cool. We can totally, we can hang. But you give them, I don't know, the sculptor or something. Fucking forget it. We're getting wiped out. 